This is Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. Perfect Organism is the only exclusive alien podcast of its kind, with our official discussion group, the Wayland Yutani Bulletin. It was crew expendable. The next time they sent in Marines, they were expendable too. What makes you think they're gonna care about a bunch of lifers who found God at the ass end of space? You really think they're gonna let you interfere with their plans for this thing? They think we're, we're crud and they don't give a fuck about one friend of yours that's, that's died. Not one. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm your host, J.M. Prater, and this is episode 59. Kind of like a surprise episode. Today my guest is Patrick Green, um, and he is, Patrick is the voice of Andrew, and Aaron Andrews, sorry, um, in Proximity, the audio drama that we are releasing. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on, Patrick. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Are you kidding me? I've been a fan for so long of this, this podcast. I finally get to be on it. It's so cool. <laughs> but uh, today, we're talking about defending Alien Covenant. Everyone has heard my opinion. Everyone has heard Ryan's opinion. Um, and it gets kind of boring when everyone's agreeing with each other. And, you know, there's some <laughs> subtle differences. And uh, Dave and Michael, who are the other co-hosts for the... the I always lose words whenever I record the roundtable that we have. Um, yep. They are they like Covenant far more than I do, but I don't. Right, right. Uh, I I don't know if they're they don't defend it as much as they should when they're talking with me. To be ah, honest. okay. And they're probably okay. going to so, hear so this. So this is a challenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, but before we get into that, Patrick, tell me about yeah. your journey to Aliens, the Alien yeah, Saga. How did you get involved in it? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so I, so when I was seven years old, a buddy of mine had a, his dad worked for Kenner Toys, and he had a prototype of the gorilla alien. And I, I will like never forget. I had never been exposed to this at all, but uh, but he was. Uh, we were out on the playground, and he took this thing out of his pocket, and I was like so transfixed by it. And I, I, I still to this day don't understand why. I mean, it was just like for some reason it really hit me. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking my cousin about it. And, uh, and he told me, like, oh, it's, like, this, like, scary sci-fi movie, you know. And I was, like, so I became upset. I was, like, I have to find this movie. And I, like, asked my parents. And they were, like, yeah, you're not, you're not going to watch that. And I was, like, no, I have to watch this movie. And so I asked my mom if I could ride my bike to the video store downtown and get a copy of, like, you know, All Dogs Go to Heaven or some <laughs> shit like that. <Yeah. laughs> and I went there, and I, and I rented Alien. And the guy, to his credit, that ran the store gave it to me. Wow. And, uh, and I went home, and I was, I've was i never been that horrified and that transfixed in my entire life by anything. Wow. wow. Paul uh, I was, I was, I think I was eight when I finally saw it. Okay. Um, and it was, uh, it just, it's just stayed with me ever since. And so kind of, I started collecting, um, you know, as soon as I got money of my own when I was like 12. And the first thing I bought was, were shell casings from the set of aliens. Wow. Just, yeah, just three of them. Yeah. Super cool stuff. Them? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. That's awesome. And, uh, and you know, so so through the years, it's kind of stayed with me. And and for, for years and years and years and years, I was, like, waiting for people to talk about it with because it's it's weird. The fandom is, like, so intense, but it's kind of small compared to other properties that I know oh, you and I sure. are into, like, Star Wars and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a 
very small, very intense community. And so the Wayland Utani Bulletin for me, um, and APP Galaxy too, those are two things that to me are like super important because it gives me a chance to finally connect with other people about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because when Covenant came out, you know, so for Prometheus, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't like that active in the sort of internet fan community at that point. So mm-hmm. I saw that kind of like alone. You know, I was with my my wife and, and a couple of my best friends, but like I didn't really have anybody who knew going into it the sort of the, the way it was going to be affecting me as a mm-hmm. viewer because it's been with me for so long. So I also didn't really have anybody to like sort of unpack that movie with. And the movie to me, Prometheus to me uh, was initially a huge disappointment, like like a colossal colossal disappointment that I was technically super impressed with. I thought the score was beautiful. I thought the cinematography was great. I thought the ideas were like kind of a little bit sophomore, but kind of cool. But as a film, I was like, this is, this is shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have anybody to talk about it with. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I joined William Tony Bolton like maybe a year ago. Um, and the lead of the covenant was like super cool. Cause we were all kind of like getting, you know, really hyped for it. Mm-hmm. And we were also, it was funny. I, I, all of us, uh, and I remember you doing this. I remember like Ross Poulter, doing this like we were all sort of keeping our reservations you know keeping our expectations in check and being like you know this could be bad this could be bad this could be bad and then right before it came out i was like you know what like i'm ready to get hurt again like i'm totally cool with it (laughs) so so i went to the movie expecting to be miserable Mm -hmm. um and i wasn't i thought it was a great film in a lot of ways not in every way but in, in enough ways that i felt totally satisfied as a fan and, and for whatever reason, retroactively, it made me look at Prometheus in a different light and appreciate Prometheus for what it is. So, and, and I've been, it's funny, the months since it came out, I mean, I can't even tell you how many late-night conversations I've had on that Facebook group, especially, mm-hmm. with people who are so impassioned, just like I am, just like you are, you know, about this, these films. Um, and we see things from such incredibly different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I know, um, it's just speaking personally, that... Uh, I have a hard time like not taking these arguments personally sometimes. Yes. I, I, yes. I, I, get, I feel like I, I get my hackles up and I'm like, what, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you, why are you taking it? Per-? Like they're not talking about you, you know, they're talking <laughs> yeah. about but, film, right? But that, that's what happens is you've taken ownership, you know, like I've yeah. taken ownership of Ripley. She's kind of a part of me. So when I see people bashing her character, I'm like, what the fuck do you think you're doing here? This is my right. mom, you know, like, yeah. really? like this is my space did, did, mom. Did you, did you say your mom? Yeah. Like Dude, back, me too. I like, always like, thought of her as my mom. Totally. Like back yeah. fuck off. Like and yeah. I would like and if someone tries to post photos of her like in reveal overly revealing or com- compromising I'm like, fuck no, you're not getting that through. You know? Yeah. It's like, it's like, <laughs> like thank you very much, but no. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No, and so I get it. I get that there's ownership. Totally. Yeah. So it's been really interesting the sort of journey that we've all been on as fans in the wake of this, because it's like yeah, Prometheus could have been the sort of aberration when it came out. Like it could have been this failed experiment that we would have all uh, looked at as a sort of weird side journey that would have been fixed by the Blomkamp film or something, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but with Covenant coming out, it's like, this is, this is the direction, whether or not it's aborted mm-hmm. of the franchise at this point, like mm-hmm. this, is what, this is what we're making. So uh, I feel like it's been, it's been interesting trying to come to terms with that and trying to find the strengths in it. But again, I like the movie a lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, so so tell me, because I think for myself, the first 45 minutes from essentially the beginning through the, um, the end of the, um, the throw poster scene, mm-hmm. I, it's fantastic. I love yeah. it. And the Android scene, when David and Walter are together, 
Brilliant. Yeah, Brilliant. Oh my god. Um, oh my god, so good. So I really enjoy those scenes. I really think that they're they're um well, I don't think the Android scene is belongs in an alien film, but I think it's riveting stuff nonetheless. Um and I it'll be interesting to I, I don't know if I'm... I'm buying the film just because I get a cool t-shirt when I buy it, so I'm going to buy it. Ah, you got the, exclusive, <laughs> the Walmart exclusive? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I voted for that design, too. It's freaking sweet. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Design. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, but So what is it about Covenant that resonates for you? What is it that's doing it for you? So when I went to the movie, I was like, there's, there's a few things that it needs to do to appease me as a fan. Mm-hmm. I, wanted, I want the shit scared out of me. Mm-hmm. And it, and it was, even though I knew it was happening and I saw the, the scenes that were released in the lead up, I was still, I was still fucking terrified mm-hmm. sitting mm-hmm. in the theater. I was still gripping. I, actually, I brought that gorilla alien that I mentioned from when I was a kid. I brought that original toy with me to the movie. That's awesome. Um, and I was like gripping it so hard. It was like making Because <laughs> it was scary. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a mm-hmm. scary movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which to me is really important with anime. Like I don't want it to be like ABP, for example, to me is anathema to what the franchise stands for. And I'm sure to you too, in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but part of it is because it's just funny and it's kind of dumb. And it's like, you know, it's it's like so CGI intensive, which we can talk about Covenant in a minute. But it's it's so CGI intensive that it just is this totally unbelievable bad comic book rendition. You know, so I was like, I want hard R, mm-hmm. free, and we got that. We got an incredibly gory, very suspenseful movie. Uh, I was like, I, I want this to. F- the other expectation I have is I want this to feel like an alien film. Mm-hmm. So I thought a lot about what an alien film sort of is to me. And I think it kind of crystallized when we played through Isolation when it came out a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Because it was so beautiful that you couldn't take your eyes off it, but mm-hmm. it was so scary that you wanted to, and yet you couldn't. You know what I mean? Um, and so, so to me, I, I wanted a movie that captured that feeling. And, and honestly, to be completely honest, Covenant did. Hmm. Uh, I think it was something to do with the way that the storytelling unfolded, with the way that... And, and, and I... I I should say that I kind of agree with you on the last third of the film. I know you have issues with that. I think we're kind of in the same boat on that. But let's just for the moment table that part of the movie. I feel like the first two-thirds of the movie, up until the Xeno really comes front and center, was uh, a a wonderful gothic horror freak show Mm -hmm. that dealt interesting philosophical ideas Mm -hmm. that had been explored but not in the alien universe that I felt personally feel like bring it on. Like Let's explore more Mm -hmm. themes. That's totally cool with that. Mm Um, and it allowed me to look at these, these characters that, uh, I found really fascinating in a, in a new light. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess just briefly, I'll say, um, I thought the score was absolutely incredible. Uh, and I say that as I'm a professional composer and I thought that the music was just like, just, just wonderful the way it integrated the themes from the previous movies. Mm-hmm. I loved how like the first, so like the, the lights go down in the theater and you hear that low sort of susurrating, um, synth tune and then you hear these two flutes duetting mm-hmm. over the top of it, mm-hmm. and it was like and it just sets you up for what's going to happen later in the movie mm-hmm. and this idea of duality and this idea of things playing against each other mm-hmm. um and the way it incorporate i mean like there's themes in alien and aliens that we all like love and associate with it but um haven't really gotten much of a spotlight in terms mm-hmm. of film soundtracks you know mm-hmm. and 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 both the alien and the aliens themes were highlighted in the film and i thought it was i thought it was great i, I just loved it Interesting. Okay. Now, I agree with you that the Jed Kurzel score was really good. I think in some ways it over it relied too much on Jerry Goldsmith's themes. What I love about Alien 3 is that score is completely new and it does not rely on anything in the past. And it sets up this... I, for me, as much as I love Goldsmith's score, Alien Goldenthal's score is much better. It Dude, conjures I, I, something for me that I can't describe. 
I'm, I'm literally, I could not agree with you more intensely right now. Like, Elliot Goldenthal is a fucking genius, for one thing. And the Alien 3 score, to me, is, like, one of the most elementally powerful yes. film scores I, in, in my entire life that I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I mean, Ripley's death scene is, like, I mean, it's, like, the most incredible scoring. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and I don't know if you've heard his Titus Andronicus score. Have you ever seen Titus Andronicus? No, Andronicus? I have seen Titus. I love it. I oh, my remember. God. Just, just download that tonight and listen to it. It's okay. the same thing. It's, it's like really interesting orchestration, really novel ideas, a lot of activity, a lot of counterpoint, a lot of themes embedded within each other, okay. um, and uh, and really, really powerful motivic ideas that take uh, sort of the best of like Jerry Goldsmith and add really? to it this, this sort of avant-garde angle. Yeah, Alien 3, I think, is one of the best film scores. I'm, I'm a, sc- I'm a score guy, too. Like I also listen to Jed Kurzel's score to Macbeth. Um, which yeah, is amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I yeah. love like Ian Tears and Michael Nyman. I mean, I, I can name them. I love them. Like there's underrated scores, like the score to, um, um, Scarlett Johansson's Under the Skin. Have you heard yes. that one? Oh my God. Yeah, I love, yeah. Oh my Where God. The composer used ping pong balls. Did really? you notice that? I didn't notice the, that. I mean, at least that's what it sounds like. A lot of the percussion is derived from ping pong balls bouncing off of things. And it sounds yeah. like she's also it's reversing like, things too. She's playing a note in reverse. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Which it's, in Covenant, actually, now that you mention yes, that. Yes, you, you're right, you're right. There yeah. is a little bit of that. Yeah. There's a little bit of Golden Ball in Covenant, too. I didn't hear in the film, watching the film twice, what I heard hearing the score by itself. I was listening for those moments, and I couldn't hear them. Um, but I also felt like what I took away from, from the score of Covenant was more Golden or Goldsmith than Kurzel. Kurzel's a genius, and I'm yeah. like, let him do what he wants to do. But I didn't hear it, so it was a little bit disappointing to me. But, you know, all of this notwithstanding, to be honest with you, despite everything that happened in Covenant, if I would have walked away rooting for a character the way I rooted for Ripley at the end of Alien, I wouldn't, ca- I wouldn't have a problem with any of it. The problem yeah. is I walked away thinking, well, I guess this is about David. Um, this isn't about Daniels, even though they sold it on Daniels. She was the first character we saw. Daniels was in every kind of character moment released early prologue scene, everything. And by the right, time we right. saw it, it kind of started off and she was there, but then she disappeared. She kind of goes into the ensemble and yeah. David takes front front and center, David and Walter. And that's not a bad thing, but it wasn't what was sold to me in a way. Um, so, but, but isn't that cool? I mean, you got a surprise. You got like, a sort of a bait and switch that the movie isn't about because here's the thing like we've had like so Ripley isn't to me an untouchable yes. protagonist yes doesn't matter that she's female it doesn't matter that she's Sigourney Weaver it what matters is that as a as a character she is an archetypal perfect organism <laughs> if you yeah. will like yeah. right she's like you can't touch that like, one of the best and, characters and ever written in cinema period in the yeah. story yeah I, I, I completely agree with you and I think it's amazing that my hero as a young boy was was a woman, and me it too. never even totally. it never even occurred to me. I was never like I was never like thinking like oh that's so progressive or something. I was just like Ripley is who I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's insane. It's amazing because her character um, spoke more than anything else. It wasn't about her gender. It wasn't about her her looks. It wasn't about her oh she's a badass, but she's got big boobs and it's coming. You know what I mean? Like it was not it wasn't Lara, Lara Croft. It was none of that. Right. It was her character. It was her her her. Her state of mind, who she was, the fact that she could rise up and lead. And yeah. let me balance this out that I wasn't looking for that in Daniels at all. Okay, okay, okay. I, I wasn't. I, I, 
Ripley is Ripley. Let's not. I don't want a clone of her. I don't need a clone of her. And I, it was clear that they were trying to clone her aesthetics early on. That first one of the first images, and she's got the tank top, and she's got a gun. Clearly, they're yeah. trying to. Oh, come on, fanboys! Come on, fanboys! We're creating a new female character. Blah 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 blah. My problem yeah. was it wasn't so much that the David and Walter or David ended up being the main character. My problem was I don't care about David. I don't like David. Um, Why not? He's not, so cool. Not Why that he's not him? performed well. He's performed well. He's amazing. No, but as a character, as a character, the way he's written, I can't emotionally invest in him. I have no emotional investment in David. Uh, I feel at odds with him. Okay. That's okay. you know. So I I left Prometheus, not caring about any of the characters. Um, right. And then I left Covenant like, what the fuck? Like, so who... <laughs> and it's not like, oh, I want to care about them. I want to, you know... It's not like, I need another fall. I need another... Mo-. It wasn't like that. It was just like, I want to invest in someone, and there's no one for me to invest in. Except for this crazy droid that's stupid. Right, right. Well, I, I, I would argue that... <laughs> he's a little stupid. I would argue that um, if, if there had been a really strong, notable, charismatic protagonist that David would have slipped a little bit too far into the into the sort of comic book background villain role. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the fact that he had space narratively in the movie was really interesting because, like, you, so I, I came out of Prometheus, like, not giving a shit about David. I was like, who, who cares? Like, he, he's, he's a head. Like, whatever. I don't care. Like, you know, whatever. Um, and in this one, I, I did care about him because I thought, what a fascinating take on this trope that we've seen explored over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically having the island of Dr. Moreau being played by a robot who was marooned, you know, mm-hmm. uh, after these traumatic events yeah. 10 years earlier and living on his own, what would happen to the psyche of a synthetic mm-hmm. in the absence of like programming cleanups or in the absence of reboots mm-hmm. or what would happen if, uh, I mean, the, the fact that he has this creative impulse to me is super cool because I know you as an artist, uh, and me also as a creative person, like, like we, we have that creative impulse. Mm-hmm. We have a drive to create things. We have a drive to explore ideas from new angles and to see where they go. And to see that in a robot, you know, it sounds funny saying robot, in synthetic, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's really, really fascinating because it, it is part of what defines our humanity. And um, to David, and, and this is, I think, Michael Fassbender, I, I think is, is perhaps one of the top three most talented male leads in Hollywood today. Agreed, agreed. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and this, this was such a tour of force for him. I feel like his character, uh, David, was um, totally believable as a synthetic who was acting out of a sense of a moral imperative, not out of a sense of trying to be evil, not out of a sense of trying to endanger people, not out of a sense of being confused about whether or not he was real, but out of a pure desire to create, mm-hmm. which to me... It's fascinating, and I don't think I've seen—I don't think I've ever seen that explored before mm-hmm. in the way that this was. And so I, I think that um, it was a wise editorial decision mm-hmm. to remove the the the, uh, the human protagonist aspect enough so that this antagonist kind of come front and center and be played off of his foil mm-hmm. um, in a really honest way. And I just think it's something that we talked about a little bit elsewhere um, about if this is an ideas movie or a character movie. Or if it's okay if it's if it's one or the other and not mm-hmm. both of them. Mm-hmm. To me, it's an ideas movie, and uh, and that might not be perfect. It might not be worthy of Alien and Aliens, but I went in wanting that. I went in saying, you know what? 
like, like, you know, Vasquez for me, like she's so imprinted on my psyche mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that it's like, I, I don't want anybody to take that real estate. Like totally. she's, she's special. You know what totally. I mean? These char- characters are really a part of who we are, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't want this sort of, uh, this weird, uh, facsimile of these classic characters. Like I, I, I want new ideas and I want to explore this universe in a way that means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And so I went into it with that expectation. Mm-hmm. I went into it wanting to just see new shit, see what happened, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, there's the it's disconnect fun. for me. Yeah. Uh, I have always engaged Alien, the first three, and parts of four, even though I think it's an abomination. Um, <laughs> parts of four, but I've always, my engagement with this trilogy, with this series, I don't count AVP films because no one does. Um, right. I've engaged it fully, full, uh, as as, a, as an entire character. I've engaged uh, the Nostromo was a character for me. Um, oh my god! Yeah. I could relate to Parker. I could relate to Brett. I could relate to Vasquez. I could relate to Morse. I could relate to Dylan. I could relate to Clemens. That's the way I I relate to films. You know, um, because I root for someone. And sometimes there is the antihero, and sometimes you root for the villain. Sometimes there's something about a villain. You're like, I hope they win or I hope they, you know, I didn't, I don't feel that way about David. Like I, 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 there's just no engagement with me for him. I wish there was, but also too, let's, you're talking about Michael Fassbender. Let's step back a minute. I love Michael Fassbender. I have never seen any film with him in it where I've engaged with him emotionally. Technically. Wow. Really? Yes. Technically he's an amazing actor. I have no, I, I've seen the X-Men films, shame, um, have you seen Shame? Yeah, yeah, you, you um, didn't engage with him in that. He was amazing, he was amazing, but he was an asshole. Like, yeah, but that's the point, you know? I mean, that's kind of the point of his character. Maybe it speaks more to who I am, and I don't mean to, like, play my own fiddle, you know, but I, I'm a very... <laughs> I'm a relationship guy. That's how I relate to art and film. I, there has to be a story there for me. And David's story doesn't interest me. It doesn't. Okay. Now, okay. What, before Covenant... Um, before Covenant released, I thought I knew that there was going to be Walter and there was going to be David, and I was excited. Uh, How is this going? to... We've never had two androids in a film together interacting. I was excited about that idea. I was excited right. about what I knew that there was going to be some kind of diabolical uh, stuff going on between them, or maybe, um, um, maybe, maybe David was trying to pull Walter over to his side, and you saw that a little bit in Covenant. Um, oh, yeah. What I think happened with for me. Pardon me, my um, my nephew who's autistic. He's here. He's kind of having Sorry a meltdown. If you hear it, um, well, when David and Walter finally took, when David was finally introduced in Covenant, um, everything took everything went to the side. All the characters we had been introduced to got pushed out. It became the David film. That's when, for me, not that I didn't find David interesting. I just thought, well, what are you doing? Why are you setting uh-huh. up these other people for, you know, like, and that first 45 minutes, the the interaction between, and I've said this on the show before, the interaction between the characters on the ship and the dialogue, everybody's talking over each other, and it's so real. It's so, I can relate to Ferris. Like, I can relate to her. Yeah, that meltdown yeah. she has, like, she's like, you haven't heard, you didn't hear what I heard. Don't tell me to Dude, calm what down. what a fucking moment. It was what, amazing. I, that's one of my favorite moments in the entire film. Absolutely. And, you, know, you know what it is? It's, it's, when, it's when Corinne is in the med lab and she's screaming mm-hmm. on the intercom. Yeah. To me, like, that is fucking heart-in-the-throat yeah. drama because yeah. it's like you can tell that Ferris is so she she knows that this is it. Mm-hmm. She's talking to her husband on the ship, and she's and she's just completely melting down. Yeah. 
and she knows that the second she puts that headset down and turns around, that's it. Yeah. You know, and it's like she, she's she's trying to drag it out as much as she can, and then she can't because she's being screamed at in yeah. her ear, yeah. and she has to go face it. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, that's Totally, I mean. yeah. and there's a scene, too, where she she's going back into the lander, and you see her take her gloves off. She's not, she's, she's freaked out, but she's also not stupid. She's like, right. no, I can't, I can't infect anything else. She throws her gloves off. She's, she's thinking, what do I yeah. do? She closes that yeah. door. She locks that door. She does what Sigourney, what Ripley wanted to do in Alien, but couldn't because right. opened the door. Right. Um, but then of course the alien gets out. I mean, that stuff is, that scene, that whole thing, that's legendary. Um, yeah. There's, it's heady. There's a lot of subtext going on there. I love yeah. it. Um, I'll watch it again. I'll watch that scene, yeah. that 45 minutes over and over and over. Um, but again, so, 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 so here's the thing, here's the thing. So from an expectation standpoint, isn't it fucking cool that, you know, at, at this point when we have been invested in this thing for, I don't know, three decades, you know, that, that we got the chance to see a new scene canon that plays really well with the themes and the ideas and the elements that we love about the original films, regardless of anything else. If, if you if you strip away everything else from that movie, if you take out the synthetics, if you take away the ending, if you take away the questionable CGI, and you just focus on 45 minutes at the beginning, to me, if I hated the rest of it, which I did not, I would still be so thankful that I had a chance to sit in a theater on an IMAX screen and a preview audience and see what felt to me like an actual bona fide alien film. To me, that was worth it. You know what interesting, I mean? Interesting, interesting. I don't discount that, and I understand what you're saying. My issue is, I don't, and I'm not saying you're doing this, because obviously I think you like more than it, than I do, and I don't hate it. I don't hate the ending. I don't, no, I don't there's nothing in the film that I hate. Now, there, that with the chestburster at the end, Popping out and then spreading—that was ridiculous. I'm sorry. I don't care what <laughs> I don't care what people think. That was stupid. Um, wait, so 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 wait, which part are you talking about? Billy, the chestburster and Billy Crew. Yeah, yeah, where it busts I think out. That was beautiful. And it unfolds, it so and it's like, yes, man. With his hands going up and mimicking him, dude, that is so cool. But that's not—that's not the established lore, and that's part of the problem too. So yeah, but it's it's time it's time to explore the established lore from new angles. I I think. I because just you know. We've never seen the alien do that. Not to say that there's things that we've never seen a newborn and we saw one in Resurrection. You know, there's there's things that we had never seen a queen and we saw a queen in Aliens, you know. I get that. I get that. I get that there's going to be different things. For me, the scene played ridiculous. It played like baby Groot. And also, <laughs> if this thing is under evolution, if it's under it's yeah. if it's going through the process of evolution to get to the the Geiger version, then why is it popping out of this chest with less blood? And right. fully formed. To right. me, that, that, that took me out of the film. I just well, didn't... I have, I, have, I, have, I have answers for you. Okay. So to me, it makes more sense for an organism to pop out in a more durable, aggressive, hardly cased form that would immediately get out. So an alien, when it pops out a cane, right? It is like a, it's like, uh, it's like a penis, but it's also like a bullet. It's like a bullet penis, you know? <laughs> it comes out, and then it, poof, it just gets away. Mm -hmm. There's no extraneous limbs. Mm -hmm. Because of obviously production issues, but but mm -hmm. but it's like a very tight, streamlined thing that just immediately gets away and grows up, right? And this one it doesn't have that ability yet. And this one it's infantile. It's it's uh, it's unable to defend itself. It's it's so subservient to its creator that it it obeys orders when it comes out like a trained horse. No. So but that's, it's, 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 we're not but we're not at XX one two one yet. We're still at this infantile stage. If 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 in if there are more Ridley Scott films, which I know we disagree about, if there are more Ridley Scott alien movies, and the alien has progressed and it still does that, then fuck it, then I will be totally. So why would so so then it's, de it's devolving then? 
So it's devolving. Instead of coming out fully formed, because it's good for its survival, it's devolving. It's coming off less formed. As it's, 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 it's coming out uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a manner that is less well-equipped to survive the harshness of newborn life. So for, so for example, so I, I, one of my weird hobbies is I keep like predatory fish. They have like all these, these tanks with these like weird fish. <laughs> um, and one of the species that we have are piranha. Um, Pygocentris nateri, like red-bellied prawn from the Amazon, and when they come out of the uh, of the of the mother, they are immediately hyper aggressive, and uh, they will eat through anything that they can. And I know that because when I got my first one almost 12 years ago, uh, it bit me on the hand when I took it out of the bag, and it was the size of my pinky fingernail. Wow! And you know this thing, it didn't barely have a spinal cord, and yet it still bit through the bag and bit my finger and fell on the floor, and I had to pick it up. Wow. Uh, so to me, that's a xenomorph. That's mm. that's a xenomorph. It comes out and it is ready to fucking kill you. Like, yeah. like, you know, if, if somebody had gotten in the way of that chestburster, the one on that like pneumatic drive shaft and the alien, like you know that they wouldn't have stood a chance, right? Mm-hmm. But the 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 protomorph, which I still think is a protomorph, and I hope is a protomorph in Covenant, yeah, you could flip that with your finger and it would fall right over, right? It's a spindly, uh, anemic-looking little thing that's beautiful and very much looks like a human infant. Um, and it doesn't have the agency. It doesn't have the sense of self yet to mm-hmm. disobey its creator and mm-hmm. do what it needs to do to survive. It comes out as a subservient creature. And we know from all of the canon that's come before that the xenomorph is not a subservient animal, right? Other than the queen. Mm-hmm. So like, so, uh, so, so to me, um, I, I find that it's like evidence that this is a, an unevolved organism. And, and like I said, like, I mean, I've already been super pissed off at Ridley Scott once Prometheus Remember, I hate it when I saw it originally. Um, I'm not afraid to be mad at him. I'm not afraid to say, get the fuck out of Alien. You know, I'm not afraid mm-hmm. to say, Dan O'Bannon did this, not you. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I can do that, yeah. even though I don't really Scott in a lot of ways. Um, so this is not like some sort of weird fanboy thing. Like, I, I, I can be critical of him. Mm-hmm. But I'm choosing at this point, because I know that we potentially have more coming down the road. We'll see. I'm choosing to... Hope that this is part of a larger evolution of the organism that we will see played out. And if it's not, I will, be the first, I will call into this podcast and I will say I was wrong and that really Scott should be booted from the project mm-hmm. immediately. But you know, just, just yeah, go ahead. Just, just, just sorry, super briefly on that. The scoring of that moment is, I think, just absolutely incredible. Which moment? The of, of the birth of the ch- the first chestburster. You mean like the backburster or Orem's chestburster? Okay. Because remember that the music is completely divorced from what's happening. Do you remember the music too? Yeah. Emma? You don't I, like that. I don't like anything about that. I don't like. You don't like anything here, about here, that. Here's a problem too, and also yeah. here's a problem with the whole setup. Yeah. So Orem finds David talking to or playing nice with Neomorph, and then. Seeing dead girl back there, head floating that we see over Rosenwald, and over and over. Yeah. Um, Orem then, what the fuck is going on? Pointed gun pointed at David. What the fuck? What the fuck? Do you want answers? I'll give you answers. Come follow me. Come follow me down to the darkness into the cave. Oh, okay. Uh, flower opens. It's very. It's 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 absolutely fine. Take my word for it. Oh, okay. Let me look into it. Like. It was, right, right, right. My my sense of disbelief was gone. Right, right. Why would right, he all right. of a sudden trust this this droid that he didn't even question that when he first met him? Like, oh look, it's the same model as 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 Walter. Why are you here? Why are you here? 
tell me, like, give me answers. None of that happened. So none right. of that was established. And so then right. I'm, you're taking me on this journey where you, then you want me to believe all this other stuff. I'm not, I'm not believing right. it because this, right. because the, um, and also though, too, these things could be fixed for me. If you, by pacing, slow this down a little bit. Let's oh, I agree. 100%. Some, some more dialogue 100%. in there. Let this set piece breathe. Let it breathe the way the space jockey had was able to breathe when Kanan yeah. and Lambert and D Dallas found it. There was none yeah. of that. There was. It was just like you bet. You you better believe everything that you see. And you're boom, boom, timing, 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 timing. Yeah. Um, and that's part of it. I, a lot of what I saw in Covenant. Um. All of it I have no problem with fundamentally. The problem yeah. I have with it is how it was presented to me. The execution. The yeah. execution. And, it, I, and you said you made a, a comment about Prometheus. I think Prometheus is the better film. I know you do. I, I think Prometheus is the I think more... I think you're crazy. But, yeah. <laughs> I think Prometheus <laughs> is the more beautiful film. I think Prometheus yeah. had a little bit more time. I think Prometheus isn't edited as quickly. Um, but I also think that the characters in Covenant are better. Um, so it's kind of a, but I keep thinking about Prometheus and I keep thinking about, I'm thinking it's actually kind of a good film comparatively. I think I might want to watch it again. I keep thinking about that. Um, yeah. you know, what's funny is you're saying this and, and, and in a way I, well, well, there's one thing that you said that I agree a thousand percent with, I'll get to that in a second, but you're talking about looking at Prometheus as a superior film and looking at it in a better light because of this covenant naming like Prometheus. Because I hated it for years, you know, since it came out. And then I saw Covenant six times, or five times. <laughs> and and I was like, you know what? I think Prometheus was actually kind of cool. Yeah. And, that, and now I can appreciate it for what it is, which is an incredibly flawed, but beautiful and interesting, in some ways, film with terrible characters in it. Yeah. But what I agree with a thousand percent is the cuts. I think that um, all of these films are edited much too quickly. I think that there are too many shots. Uh, I think that uh, part of why Alien is is so everlastingly beautiful to look at is because there's there's something I, I did a count one time. I think it's 287 different shots in it, mm -hmm. which for a feature is nothing. I mean, like I, I would love to see what like this new Transformers piece of shit had. I mean, I, I saw it. I think I told you this. I saw it with our three year old um, oh, in God. the theater, and and it was like I, I felt I don't have like epilepsy, but I like kind of got it in this movie because I was like, what? It's just it's just a series of images that don't have no narrative connection, and they're just loud, weird, mm -hmm. disparate things. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it. I'm not sure this is cowtowning to studio pressure. I think that Ridley um, did way too many cuts in Covenant and in Prometheus. I totally agree with you on that, especially in the final third of the film. Um, completely agree 100%. But before I talk about that, you said something a while ago about um, Orem looking into the into the opening um, Open Wharf. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I thought about that too. The first time I saw it, I had, had some issues with some of the narrative things happening, some of the expositional things in that part of the movie. But if you think about it, um, David has done nothing to that. So, so David saved their lives, right, by interrupting the attack with the two new morphs in the field. He led them to safety, he helped them set up radio equipment. He cleaned himself up, right? He looked less like the sort of destitute, crazy android. He did, got himself a haircut. He looked more like a presentable Walter model, right? Mm -hmm. um, he wasn't aggressive toward anybody. He hadn't deliberately led anybody astray. He hadn't said anything overtly evil at that point. Mm -hmm. He just was this kind of quirky robot who also uh, had... St so, like, think of this too. So the Neomorph, which had just 
decapitated Rosenthal. Um, and I know, I know people have had issues with the fact that the scene is shown three times. I think it's a beautiful shot. I think it's like it is. the shot of the head. even the setup cool. for that is, hey guys, I'm going off to clean up. All right. I know. Hey. And that's stupid. And that's stupid. As soon as she said that, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens now. You know? Yeah, I totally, that was, that was stupid. That was stupid. But, but here's the thing is that, is that when the Neomorph turns around after literally eating this corpse, which is also interesting because we haven't seen them eating anybody yet, mm-hmm. any of these mm-hmm. fairies and aliens. Um, and, and the Neomorph walks over to David, um, and David stops it from moving further. So in that moment, you see that like that he actually has the capacity to control these organisms. Mm-hmm. And Orem sees that, and I'm sure it registers with him, that like David is protecting, although he's not, but he thinks that he's protecting these wayward, you know, Orgai 6 people mm-hmm. um, from danger. Mm-hmm. So, so, so to me... You know, also, remember, Orem exists in a time where synthetics have been developed to the point where they are essentially infallibly perfect, mm-hmm. and they do not have these, any of these programming aberrations. They don't act out of their own will. They're, like, totally dependably um, sentient and, and subservient. And uh, when, uh, when David tells him that something's safe, he has no reason at all to think that it's not. Because, because, because he lives in a time when, uh, when an android would not be programmed to be able to do anything that would deviate. But it was, it was like, it's, like, it's like built with the Hippocratic oath, like the doctors take, you know? It cannot cause harm to happen to people, just like Bishop says, right? Mm-hmm. I, mean, and I, I get I, that. I, I get that. I, as you say that, I, it makes sense. The problem for me is that set up right before that scene... Orm was questioning everything. What are you doing with this thing? It's just kill. Like, what are you... And he's like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? What are you doing? And at that point, David's was, like, more concerned that he killed the alien than the dead girl floating in the pool. So That's true. And, That's true. And Orm... Although, although to a synthetic, right, they're just, they're just organisms, That's right? True. Like, 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 it's not like one of them is better than the other one, necessarily. But, but... Although maybe they've been programmed that way. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I... It's the setup that has... a that I have a problem with. And maybe that was just a series of, um, like for instance, in the book to covenant, um, there's an explanation why, um, Orm is by the eggs. There's an explanation that, that, um, what's his name? David goes to the egg first, the ovomorph or whatever you want to call it. Right, and it right. doesn't open. It doesn't do anything. And so right. Orm watches that and he goes, Oh, okay. I'm sure it's fine. Um, but right. of course David's not real. So, but Orem right. doesn't make that connection. Um, so Orem right. does it, and something happens. That's plausible. I can believe that. Um, but also think about it like this. Like at this point, this is a guy who has now been responsible for how many deaths since he took over as captain? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. a shitload. Mm-hmm. Who has crashed, is, is now like stranded on this incredibly hostile place, who just lost his wife mm-hmm. You know, a matter of hours earlier, who's in a pretty dire position. Uh, and like, it's, it's sort of, I, to me, like, he is at the center. He's he's aware that he is insignificant, mm-hmm. right? Like he's like I, I I am nothing but an agent of destiny at this point. Like mm-hmm. I'm just sort of going on this route that I have fallen into, and uh, and I will see where it leads. And 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 he he doesn't have what we have. Like he hasn't been watching Alien for four decades. You know, like he doesn't have mm-hmm. this knowledge that something's going to totally. spring out and totally. get him. And he has no reason to think it would. Yeah. All he sees is motion, right? Because he asks, "Are they alive?" Um, and, and the response to that is approach it and find out, you know, like it's perfectly safe. So like, of course, I, I think he would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it would open up, I mean, it's just, it's sort of like the apple in the garden of Eden kind of thing. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're confronted with this incredible realization mm-hmm. that there is organic life elsewhere in the universe that is, that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and what does it hold in store? And, and, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would be able to not look at it. I, I don't know. Totally. It's like the big red button. No. Don't push it, but you want to. Yeah. yeah. And I, I hear what you're saying. And part, and I guess um, part of it's this, this is when I'm watching Alien, and there's some, I would say in Aliens, there's some things like, what the fuck? Like, how did the, mm-hmm. the, the queen get on that? How'd that big-ass queen get on that small so that yeah. small dropship by comparison? How'd she even get in that elevator by comparison? Right. Um, there's some jumps of, so some of those, the, that the suspension of disbelief. I remember years ago when I was watching Aliens as a teenager, I thought those things like, how did she get in that elevator? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, that doesn't make sense. And then yeah. she kind of looked, I remember when the elevator door was opening, her head kind of tilts like a dog, like, what? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was kind of dumb. Um, right. And there's just some sp- suspension of disbelief there. And I think what's happening with me and Covenant is if it has to be explained to me, it's not going to work. I, I, yeah. I, I don't want to have to, oh, okay, that's the reason. Oh, let me try to watch it again. You know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, the setup really has to work, so I'm not questioning any of it as I'm watching it. What happened with me in Covenant is I started, now that's not pop. In my mind, in in the presentation to me, I'm watching this thing, okay, whatever, something's unfolding in Covenant. No, that's not possible. I I don't know if I I I buy that based on these other three films that I've seen. Oh, I don't know. And then all of a sudden it starts devolving. It starts breaking down. So everything I'm seeing um, like even in the, even in the beginning in the setup, just because the air is breathable doesn't mean it's safe. Just because it's right. oxygen doesn't mean you'd go out because who knows what's in the oxygen? Who knows mm-hmm. what there is? And there was, there was things in there. Um, right. And, and to be fair in the book, uh, Walter goes out alone yes. first. Um, yeah. And, and, and that, yeah, I agree. That's problematic in the film, but at the same time, I, I, I was so excited to be watching an alien movie that I was like scared and, and, you know, mm-hmm. and in awe of that. I was like, whatever, like, I don't fucking like, you know, totally, totally. I, I get it. Like I, I, at, at the end of the day, these are people traveling thousands yes. of light years across the universe in hypersleep to yeah. go, you know, colonize a distant planet mm-hmm. and build a log cabin using tools that don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this is like, this is, this is not, it's not yeah. real. Right. Yeah. And also too, like I said earlier, I can forgive some of these things. I yeah. would forgive some of these things. Like, I wouldn't even be looking at it or thinking about it if by the end of the f- movie I was like, fuck yes, that was awesome. Right, right, Those right, things right. wouldn't, but right. then what happened was that the, by the end of the film, I was pissed. I was I angry. I wasn't like that with Prometheus. Prometheus yeah. was a slow burn. I couldn't get Prometheus out of my head for weeks. I kept thinking mm-hmm. about it and thinking about it. And I always called Prometheus, there's a masterpiece of a film in Prometheus somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe yeah. that. And there's things in Prometheus that I adore. The mm-hmm. hammer peed, the engineers, the, the artistry of it. It's very it's beautiful. It's it's um, There's some great things. I like Vickers. I think she was a good character. She was more like Ripley than anybody. Not that I, yeah. she, I don't like her because she was like Ripley. I just like her because she was more relatable. She's um, compelling, yeah. Yeah, and I thought Shaw was just horrible. And she continues yeah. to be. Yeah, Shaw was a one-mouth. Oh Holloway is literally the worst character yeah. I mean, I, Hollow character. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt so many times. It's like you're you're this brilliant scientist who discovers evidence of life on another planet, and the one quadrant of that planet that you touch down on has evidence that there was life there at one point, and but it's not it's no longer living, and you get so depressed from that one fucking. That one thing that you just assume that life is nowhere else on the planet, mm-hmm. and you get drunk and, and fucking roll a pool ball across it. Yeah, well, and he, like, didn't, he, he wrote he, that. And he didn't. Damon Lindelof wrote, rewrote that, but he didn't right. seem like. And the problem with Holloway too was, he seemed like an impetuous sixteen-year-old. He wasn't. He, he wasn't, did. He wasn't yeah. a scientist. He wasn't anyone right. who was professional. He was stupid. None, he was none, ignorant. None he was arrogant. Like yeah. the people that I know who are scientists or who are chemists or biologists who are very cool, they're also very 
um, I don't want to say liturgical, that's the wrong word, but uh, they research. Let's, what's yeah, the research yeah. say? What, well, let's look at yeah. this. Let's compare. They're not overly excitable because things have to be verified, and that takes right. years. And Holloway was right. none of those things. Holloway was like, right. and you know, and even of course, talking about Prometheus, when they do a DNA sample, well, did you did you get the sample? Yes, I did. Well, what is it? It's everything. It's all of us. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> and come on, <laughs> like, just, this is stupid. It was just ridiculous. It, it was those dialogue and characters written for the dumbing down of the audience, and that's what's happened. Yeah. That's another conversation yeah. for a later date, but. Right. And I felt like Covenant was a step up from that in some ways. Um, yeah. I really did, and um, I feel like Covenant... I, I mean, just I, I feel I feel like the scene where they plug the fucking engineer head into like alligator clips that you would restart a car with. I'm like that 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 is the, literally the least scientific and maybe dumbest thing well, I've what, ever what seen. What are they even doing world. too? I was like, what? Well, what, what? What were they doing in that scene? It doesn't make sense. I know they're trying to wake it up. Yeah. Like it's a fucking head. Yeah. Like, why would you? What, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? And then of course it does wake up just in time to explode. Yeah, and, yeah it's. It's complete bullshit. Yeah. But what I'll say to your earlier point, so in Aliens, if the movie itself had been the exact same, the narrative structure, the pacing, the score, the acting, if it had been that, but it had been about people cleaning fucking toilet bowls, like I would still watch it. I mean, I still would watch it every month mm -hmm. of my life mm -hmm. because the movie is fundamentally so incredibly good. Yes. Like it is such an unimpeachably great film, right? Like it, it tells a story in a way that is so compelling and so exciting and there's such high stakes and it says such amazing things about parenthood and about companionship and about finding love at the far corners of the universe and about what people do when they're encountering the most terrible things in the universe. Like th there are themes and storytelling ideas in that that are so good that basically it could be about anything – and it could take as incredibly huge deviations from canon as saying that the aliens were actually just like a bunch of sentient trash cans. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I would still think it was a great film. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. So, so there are there are. I, I have incredibly huge issues, canonically speaking, with aliens. Like, yeah, the, the queen getting the dropship, the queen taking the elevator ride, the fact that you can just kill these these uh, warrior these uh, warriors anamorphs with like you know two pulse rifle shots. It's like, yeah, there's some huge issues with mm -hmm. it. But the movie is so great that it doesn't matter. Covenant. And, I, and again, I'm saying this as somebody who really, really, really enjoyed Covenant and somebody who can't wait to see it again for a sixth time. Uh, it's not that movie. It's not that movie. It's not a great film. But to me, it is a worthy alien film. And it has things in it that were worth waiting for and that gave me a payoff. And, and part, of, part of why I'm okay saying that is that I don't think we will ever see what we saw in Alien or Aliens again. And I think there's something fundamentally okay about that because – and I think I've talked about this in the bullet once. The early films have the 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 incredible gift of being novel, right? Like like Alien had not been done before. Like there had been haunted house films, there had been space odysseys, uh, there had been you know horror films where you're being pursued by this you know mysterious Avenger you know figure, but they had never been combined in that way with that design sense and all these things. Aliens. The, just, just the idea of a Vietnam movie set in outer space against against hostile creatures is just. I mean, how can you fucking improve on that? Like, mm -hmm. like, how can you make a better idea for a sci-fi movie than that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it was all new. It was all these new characters. It was this whole hive idea. Um, it was incredible. Alien 3, which you and I both think is an incredible film, um, again, like, like it was like they carved out, like the, to me, the only other possible new thing that they could have done without going to Earth, which was people that are completely unequipped to handle any of this, either physically or emotionally, um, and how they find salvation in this incredibly bizarre circumstance. After that, it's like, what, what are you going to do? Like, you've done, you've done a movie 
where it's like a, you know a lone organism pursuing people in our space, a movie where you have a war happening on a foreign planet, and a movie where you have uh, basically a serial killer in prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, you after that, like there's yeah. little left to explore. Totally. So no matter what totally. happens, no matter what happens, it's like they're not going to find new territory. And if they did, yes. I mean, same thing. Like sometimes I put myself in the shoes of like the Apple creative team, and I'm like, you know, like what what would they what could they do that would change the world the way the iPhone did? It's like I, I have. No fucking clue because I'm not I'm not Steve Jobs you know like I'm not Tim Cook I don't I'm not equipped to, to do that so like you know I can sit here and say that there's no novelty left in this franchise but maybe there isn't and I'm just not smart enough or equipped enough to get it but from where I sit we're not going to see that again we're not going to have this mind blowing new experience so I, I think we should be thankful for what we have the opportunity to get and I, I think that and I know this is kind of a sore subject because of all the stuff that's been happening lately but I think that if we got the, and because of your previous episode I think that the Blomkamp movie could have been really disappointing it could have been sure and, and, and but, but see the thing is that it, would, it could have been disappointing in a way where it was disappointing using elements of the movies that we really cared about like it, like building it off as an outgrowth of these movies that as I said were like kind of unimpeachably great mm-hmm. in a way that would kind of do damage to them mm-hmm Whereas for me, Covenant and Prometheus and whatever we get next, if we do get Awakening or any of this other stuff, um, it's sort of segregated from that. Like it's kind of bifurcated off. It's its own sort of origin, crazy philosophy, gothic, weird shit that is is sort of beautiful and strange and different. Um, and it's just its own thing. You know what I mean? Like like the, the original trilogy, we can all agree, is just incredible. Mm-hmm. And it, always be and nothing will touch that mm-hmm. and instead of letting something touch that and, and take some of the greatness away to me it's cool to have this totally different thing just explore totally different stuff mm-hmm. see where it takes you so like when you say that david and walter don't have a place in an alien film i would argue that like to me that's exactly what has a place in an alien mm-hmm. film because we haven't seen it yet because hmm. it's 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 finally a way to play with that trope of the synthetic organism in a way that we haven't explored you know because mm-hmm. if we got another ash or we got another bishop um, you know, we'd be, we'd be sitting here saying like, oh, it was a facsimile of Asher Bishop. Right? Oh, totally. I agree. If, and yes. if Daniels were like really the protagonist of this film, we'd be saying, well, she's just Ripley 2.0, but she sucks, you know? Mm-hmm. But instead we got this movie that's really, it's not about the crew anymore. And it's not about the space colonization. And it's not about this sort of war film in space. It's, it's about synthetic, it's about creation. Mm-hmm. It's, it, that's, that's all that these movies are fundamentally mm-hmm. about. They're about creation. And I think and that, that, that theme cool. there, that theme is vastly different than a trilogy about a whistleblower. A trilogy about an employee um, who is being screwed over and employee facing a, a double threat. The threat of the alien in her presence, the threat of the company who has the same intent to fuck her over or kill her and not care. So there's that double threat going on. And I would agree with you 100%. There is never going to be the novelty of the first film. There there are things that have been explored in Alien, the Alien series, that we... we, Like Alien 4 tried to replicate in Alien... Alien, not just one, but there's tons of aliens on this ship and we're going towards Earth. And uh, the movie was sucked, but it... Didn't suck so much just, just because of that premise. That was part of it. Right. It sucked right. because the characters were terrible. The dialogue was terrible. Right. It was just right. a cheesy parody of everything we'd ever seen. Right. Um, my contention is, and even like with Alien Three, a lot of people don't like that movie, but they they won't say it wasn't well made. They won't say it wasn't well, well acted. They won't say, um, they won't say you know, um, like it was just this garbage film. They'll just say I, I hated the story. 
I hate right. where it went. They wanted Newt and, right. and Hicks, and they wanted that. that well, I mean, I think fundamentally, I, I think, I think that, I think that's why people hate it. I think everything mm-hmm. else aside, I think if those yes. characters survived that crash, I think people were probably universally like that film. Totally, you know? absolutely, um, and I get that. I totally get that. I think when I yeah. met Ripley in Alien Three ninety two, I was in a dark place. Um, in my childhood, I was 16. So, and I've said this before in the podcast, but so she spoke to me, that character in that setting spoke to me. So I was like, fuck yeah. Like this is, she's, 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 this is my story. This is our story. She's with me here. You know, it spoke to me and it, I, I was like blown away when I saw the film, blown away. Yeah. It was the film I wanted to see. Um, but I understand, and I'd seen Aliens over and over and over. I watched Aliens 15, 16 times in a week once. Every week, every day after yeah. school, I would have Aliens on. Over and I remember yeah. friends of my parents saying to my parents, aren't you a little bit concerned that Junior watched <laughs> this movie so much? Um, but I loved it. But then when Alien 3 came along, I was like, yes. Because for me, my story wasn't a happy one at the moment, and neither was Ripley's. Uh, at, at any rate, um, so the themes are very, very different, and I, I totally, I'm on board with you 100%. I think it's okay for the Alien films to, let's let's be about something new. Let's explore something new. Um, and I like the idea that maybe David is the threat as well as the alien being the threat. They have two right, aliens right. on that ship at the end of Covenant, David and the alien. So there's right. a double threat, but they don't really know that about David at that point. So they don't know that David's a threat. That's a threat to right. us as an audience. Um, like, what's David going to do? Um, and then that last bit where he spit, coughs up those little, perfect little cylindrical. That was, I, at that point, I was like, fuck you. Like, I, you I don't like that? Why do you uh, like that? No, because they were these perfectly little formed face huggers. Where did he get them from, number one? They fit perfectly know, in the... He had 10 years and he never sleeps. He figured it out. No. Yeah. And they fit perfectly in the in the human embryo drawer. It was too, too convenient. That, that bothered me too. It, it was just too... <laughs> it's I, funny. I, the fact that he caught them up, I was totally cool with, but the fact that they fit in the thing, yeah, I was like, I was like, whatever. But that being said, you know, Wagner was blaring. It was like this wonderful, sort of gothic, incredibly ridiculous, melodramatic conclusion in the movie. And I was like, you know what? My my belief is so suspended at this point. I'm just going to ride this thing to the fucking end credits. So and I was okay belief, with it. By that but point, I my belief, my suspension was gone. It was like, yeah. are you serious? Are you serious? And again, all of these things aren't an issue on their own if I were like, yeah, come on, Tennessee, who I loved. I thought he was a great character. Yeah. I, I think he was a better character than Daniels. He's more relatable yeah. than Daniels. I also don't think that they need another female protagonist the next time, the next film. Don't do it. Stop doing these female protagonists. Not because I don't, don't think that they're worthy, because we've had one. Stop replicating this. Right. And I've said right. this in our last podcast. Every film since the first AVP film has had a new cast. An entirely uh-huh. new cast. By the third film, the fourth, by the by the end of the first film, we had Ripley. By the you know, she was there for the second. She was there for the third. She was there for the fourth. Even though it was stupid. Um, by the end of Covenant, we except for David, who is this not even an antihero. David's not even an antihero. He's just a villain. Um, uh-huh. You need a counterbalance to that. You really, really do. Um, and of course, you saw Daniel screaming and what's happening? No, no, no! And there's that kind of jeopardy that she's in, but I didn't care because I didn't care about Daniels. Because you, you didn't know? care about her. Yeah, I didn't. Right. And and it's not that I don't think I think Catherine Waterston's a great actress. I I, I mean, I, I, there was just and I wasn't looking for okay, where's this Ripley moment? This isn't a comparison of she wasn't as good as Ripley. Mm-hmm. I just didn't care about her. Yeah. I just didn't. She didn't. I wasn't investing in her. <coughs> Pardon me. I wasn't investing in her. 
um, in who she was at all. And I wanted to. I was really hoping to. Like those the prologue scene that they released on on FX. I was yeah. in. I was like, man, I'm, I care about these characters already. And then I was hoping that we would have some more of those moments, and we really didn't. And there was that one moment where Orm was talking about being a man of faith, and they just kind of dropped that. Like, yeah, he was never. But also, too, let me let me let me walk back a little bit. With Alien, there was so much time given. Um, there was there was time given for Dallas. There was time given for Parker where you just kind of saw, saw them in there. You saw the scene of Dallas sitting in wherever and he's listening to the classical music. And, and it tells you about who he is. It tells you right. that there's a softness to him. There's an ease to him. There's a calmness to him. And you pick that up without having him having to tell you that. You pick mm-hmm. that up. And then the, 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 inform, the, the banter that Ripley and Dallas have after they've been to the, into the, 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 um, the infirmary with Ash or the science room or whatever, and they're having a little spat. And out and Ripley's like, wait a minute, we can't, you, why does he get the final word? And they're kind of going back and forth. That information, yeah. you, you're not even hearing about their history, but you're feeling their history, that these people right, are a little bit right. combative and maybe they've had a romance before. You feel that a little yeah. bit. There's a little bit of sexual tension there between them too. All of that stuff is inferred. There's all this inferral. There's this, the, the landscape's telling a story. The landscape of Alien told the story Right. But if you compare that to Prometheus or Covenant, exposition, exposition, exposition. This is this, this is this, this is this. This is wheat. Who planted it? Don't tell me. You don't need to say that. You need to say, we're already thinking that question. This looks like wheat. Who would plant it? Leave it. Cut to a new scene. Or keep walking right. because we're already thinking that. And right. I, I think there's a fundamental difference between the Ridley Scott who made Alien and the Ridley Scott who made Prometheus and Covenant. And of course people change yeah. and whatever, but when Ridley Scott made Alien and, and Leg- um, Blade Runner and Legend 2, he was a, he was doing 14 and 15 takes. He was taking his time on these films. Yes, uh-huh. he was trying to go under budget, and I know early in his career, Blade Runner went so you know famously over budget, I'm sure it kind of scared him into his next gig. You know, right. he was almost fired right. from, I think he was technically fired from Blade Runner, but he continued to do it. But he was so like 10, $12 million of, under budget. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that affected his psyche going forward right. as a, right. like, well, if I want to get work, I need to be under budget. I need to be on budget. Right. So, and, and, and to be fair, part of why 20th Century Fox likes working with him so much, and they've even said this, is that he tends to bring things in under budget now, which is, which is pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, and part of does that is he shoots with like 35 cameras at the same time. Yeah. You know, what's interesting with Alien, with the original film is that, um, the actors, like, you know, they, they've gone on record saying that they felt completely abandoned by him. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he was giving no character input. Mm. There was, like, nothing for them to, like, they did zero rehearsals for most of the scenes. Um, and a lot of it was just, he said, cameras running, and they were just, like, sort of interacting. Um, so it's funny that I, I agree 100% that, that the ensemble feel in that is, like, extremely good. Like, that, like you get the dynamic that, um, you know, that, um, that Parker and... Uh, and uh, uh, and Brett, yeah, the, the, the engineering staff knew uh, the new Ripley in her like third officer role because like because because like you know in the novelization like you know Alan Dean Foster talks a little bit about how like she was kind of always on her ass and like there's only one scene in Alien where she is but you can tell there's like all this history there and like yes. that's like this part of both of their job descriptions mm-hmm. that they kind of hate but they have to do you know what I mean mm-hmm. hey, you get tons of that stuff mm-hmm. that being said in, in Alien like the actual uh, the the freaky shit doesn't happen for like a really long time. Yes, yes. Which I like, but I would I would argue that a contemporary Hollywood audience has like a ton of problems with that, and films that are very cerebral and slow don't tend to go very well. 
which could be part of what's what's wrong with the box office right now. You know, well, I, I agree. I agree. I think the audience is suffering from many different things. I think we and I've discussed this before. This kind of loss of reverence. Um, mm-hmm. A loss of reverence by the Hollywood system, where they're making, they're pumping out these films where it's really pretty and it's cut, 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 more pretty, more explosions, transformers, dinosaurs, all of these things, um, mm-hmm. and the audience is suffering. So now they're like, oh god, this is slow. This has been like three minutes of this one scene. Right? They you get know? worried about it. Right? Totally. Well, but to be fair, they were doing that in the eighties too. Like, James, like you know, James Cameron's uh, original cut was so short because the, the studio was constantly like, "You got to get rid of like there's, there's too much like airtime. Like, we don't want the rover scene. We got to get rid of like the scene with the daughter. You know, we got to get rid of all the shit." And he was like, uh, he went along with it because he was like this young filmmaker. But, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it was completely compromising his vision. So it's not like it's not always been like Agreed. that. But I, I do think that I do think that it's, it's infecting the filmmaking process. Yes. Tremendously, um, I think that uh, that um, I, so so it's funny you mentioned the whole thing about wheat. Um, so I, I mean I, I personally might not have picked up on that had they not said anything about it. I know other people might have that you know might be able to differentiate wheat from other crops better than I can. But I I, I agree that that's kind of problematic. That it's, it's a little bit of the sort of tell don't show kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I mean on Wayland Utani Bulletin, and I'm not knocking anybody because I'm on there saying crazy shit all the time, and I love everybody in that group. But there have been I can't tell you how many threads there have been. You've seen these threads where people immediately assume something's a plot hole mm-hmm. and they go like, Oh, it's so ridiculous that like, that we don't know what this like lander is supposed to be or that like, we don't know what the docking station, what, what, what's this docking station all about? The engineers, mm-hmm. why do the engineers look different from the other engineers? Mm-hmm. All these things that, that people are assuming are filmmaking errors that I, I would think probably are not. Like, I think most of that's very intentional. Mm-hmm. And I think most of it is set up in this world building paradigm of like, there will be other films that will flesh out more mm-hmm. that will explain more of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it's not explained, I, I think, is kind of is kind of mature. But, but so here's the thing: I think that like that wheat moment would have gone totally over people's heads because I think we're watching movies now in a way that's kind of um, infected. Like I think we're watching movies wanting to have everything delivered to us on a plate. Absolutely, I, I will Agreed. say I will say that that uh, Mad Max Fury Road I think is maybe the best film I've seen in ten years. Yes, it's amazing. Um, I mean, I, I think that's like a walled wall. I mean, I, it, that is the fucking definition of a masterwork mm-hmm. to me. And, and they don't explain anything in that. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, if you haven't seen the original trilogy, I mean, I don't even know what you would think the movie was about. I mean, I, I have no idea if it would make any sense because, you know, I know the original trilogy so well. Mm-hmm. But but I love that. I love that he chose just not to talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, this, it is all symbolic. You know, they don't explain why people worship American V8 engines. They don't explain what the Citadel is all about. Mm-hmm. They don't explain Furiosa's background. All you know is that she's, like, mutilated and she's running away. Mm-hmm. They don't explain the whole birthing thing. They don't mm-hmm. explain the fact that, like, women are being kept as breeders. They don't explain any of that. It's mm-hmm. all symbolism and visual poetry. Yeah. And it works it's because amazing. it's a fundamentally great film. Yeah. Yes, and also they drop you into this world. And they don't need to explain the world. A good filmmaker doesn't need to explain to you what's going on. And I also think, right. too, to your point about um, the questions about people having questions about, oh, the engineers don't look right, or this, or that, or this, or that. A lot of those people, and I'll probably include myself, you've already, they've already, lo- you're already lost at this point. They're already, you've, I know, you've I know. lost them. So everything. This is what fandom does. So when you yeah. lose a fan or you lose an audience member, and they're watching something, and you've lost them, and they're yeah. at this point towards by the end of the film, they're just a cynical and yeah, kind of not garbage, but this is I'm not here. Then they go through and they're like, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. Right. That doesn't work. This right. was stupid. And I, I was the same way. Like even after the. 
despite the 45 minutes that was really good in the beginning, um, that I really connected with in the beginning, there's a scene where they land on the planet and they're going straight up that hill to that derelict, which again, third derelict in a Ripley Scott film. Three times he has people go and explore derelict. I thought it was an old thing, and whatever. Um, so they go, they said, oh, how far is it? Oh, it's eight miles. It's eight miles or something like that. Up the, mount, up the mountain. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll see you later. They get back to that dropship right as the sun's going down. No fucking possible way. No way. Yeah, but, but you're assuming that this planet has a circumference of Earth. Like, you're assuming that it has the same length of the daytime. Right? Well, it, it, it could be a completely different sized planet. It could I be rotating at a different rate of speed. Oh, oh like, I see. That's the thing. Is, is that, like, you're assuming all these things about That's it because true. at that point you That's already true. didn't like the movie. That's true. And, and, and because at the end of it, and I feel terrible that you didn't like it because at the end of it, then you go back and try to figure out what you didn't like about it. And you go through and you nitpick all these things because yes. the movie itself didn't hold your attention enough. Yeah. Um, and it's not your fault. It's, it's, it's your reaction to that film. But yeah. For me, for me, like I fucking loved it. Yeah. And, and right from the beginning, right from the beginning, I was transfixed. You know, you know what got me was the scene where where David is like being basically given life by by Wayland. I thought that was like just that scene was amazing. Wonderful writing. Wonderful writing. Like with the with the Bugatti chair and the mm -hmm. shit, and like and the and the fact that like his the way that he speaks in the beginning when he's what you know he says like light. You know, like, he, he speaks in these very simple mm -hmm. nouns because he doesn't have language yet, you know? Mm -hmm. And you can tell the way that he moves, like, how he has to, his, like, eyes locate something and then he turns his body to face it. He's not, he's not fully mm -hmm. born yet, right? Yes. And so I was like, oh, God, this is, this is going to be, this is going to be great. So from that point on, the whole rest of the movie, everything that I saw, and things were pinging my internal, you know, like, this doesn't make sense meter all the time. But because I like the movie, just like Aliens, um, although I again, it's not Aliens sounds good as Aliens. But but the same way, like I watched the whole rest of it from the standpoint of this was made by people who knew what they were doing with the material. So like so, I gave them the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. Like you posted that thing about the glass um, the other day, which which I know was like, yeah. <laughs> became a very big yeah. very big conversation. Um, and 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 you're right. If 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 I did not like the movie, and if I did not have fundamental respect for the screenwriters and for Ridley Scott. I would have assumed that that was just a stupid error. The fact that the xenomorph couldn't get through the glass in the cabin of this of this truck, and yet the neomorph, which is an ostensibly less evolved organism, could get through a you know a pressure and it's, this, and it's like this man, right, right, as a baby, mm -hmm. right, yeah, right, right. But because because I was because I was watching it from a standpoint of this is a good movie made by people who knew what they were doing, regardless of whether or not I'm right on that. But I, that's why I was watching it. I assumed that there that they had thought about that, and sure enough, in the novelization, like I pointed out in that thread, um, they addressed that because because Dan, the whole thing is that Daniels was the terraforming expert, right? right? Like she knew all the equipment, she was the one who was checking it, she knew all the tolerances, and she knew that that was the one place where the xenomorph couldn't get out because for whatever reason, probably because it was built to withstand high pressure um, environments on planets with high gravity, um, it was extremely resilient class. Mm -hmm. So. But but you know by that point in the movie I, they they could have done anything and I would have been like okay this is great maybe yeah. not anything but pretty much totally you know? and I think too I I should probably as you were talking about this I realized too that and part of the reason why I can't engage the film anymore in terms of a discussion I mean certainly you and I are talking about it and it's good because you and I can discuss these things in a way that's not like ah oh, fuck you you know right like, right you right. know we can have our opinions and we're like, Hey, let's talk about this. Anytime I'm going to, there's no going back for me. I don't like it. Right. I, I don't, at the end of the film, I didn't like it. So anytime I try and re, re like, Oh, re-engage it. 
it's just going to be, oh, that thing there, that thing there. And it becomes unfair to myself, and it becomes unfair to the people listening. Um, and I don't want to be a broken record. Um, but I also, mm -hmm. I'm also envious. I wish I loved it. I thought I would. I thought, I based on what I was seeing, Ryan thought the same thing. Like, I thought this film was going to be it. And really, and I, I'm going to kind of challenge you on one point um, in terms of where the audiences are. And I think about Planet of the Apes. That was a trilogy, the new Planet of the Apes. Mm -hmm. Very slow burning, methodical. Also, you know, there's explosions and stuff in there too. Um, cerebral films that do gangbusters. Um, and there's connection to Caesar. And it doesn't matter that he's an ape, um, there's, there's humanity there that we connect with. Um, uh, so I really think what's happening with these films, despite the fact that you love them and Covenant and other people do. There's a lack. There's a disconnect happening with general audiences. General audiences are going into the theater and like, oh, well, that was weird. And they're not saying mm -hmm. it was bad or good. They're just saying it was weird. No, um, I, I picked up on that too, totally. Yeah. Um, and you know, my yeah. friend Demetrios, um, who I went to college with, who listens to you know a big Alien fan, we were discussing this. He was like, well, Jamie, you didn't. People didn't like Alien Three when that came out, and I said, well, I did. Um, and he did too. So there's, and you did too, you know, like there's the, yeah. but then he loved Covenant as well. Um, he's like, I'll take Covenant's crazy over Wonder Woman any day. And I totally get that. I get that. Yeah. But I think really there's a fundamental difference or maybe I, it's just myself, the way I engage these films and the way I've historically engaged them. And it's not that it's maybe it's not the film's fault or it's not my fault, but it's just, they're going off in a direction that I, that feel like I've lost the I've lost this these films that are so important to me. I can't relate to these films that are so important to me. What do I do about it? And so there's, oh. the, it's this conundrum that I'm in, you know. And, and dude, if, if I felt that way, I would be so incredibly upset. I would be railing about it every chance I had. <laughs> if I had a podcast, I would be doing it on every episode. I, I completely. Understand that, and you know the first thing that I posted when I when I got out of the Covenant preview screening on the Wayne County Bulletin was I feel terrible that not everybody enjoyed it the way that that I was able to enjoy it because it was really special for me. Yeah, I really saw an alien film that was worthy, in my opinion, of the title, which which I thought I would never see. I mean, you know, I, I didn't. I was too young to see three in theaters, mm -hmm. but but I, I did sneak into Resurrection as a teenager, and. Uh, and and I, even then, I could tell it was kind of a stinker. You know, it was like it was. There's some things about it that are okay, but like it didn't feel like an alien movie. And this felt like an alien movie. And I felt like I've been waiting my whole life for that moment. You know, mm -hmm. so that, so to me, that's like really special. Yeah. And and if I didn't have that, and, and worse, if I felt betrayed by it, I totally would be in that same boat, and I would be ignoring it. I would be saying I don't want to have anything to do with this. I'd be saying bring me Neil Blomkamp. You know, any any day of the week. Yeah, right? yeah, I would agree. But also, too, though, to again, to an earlier point, it's not that his, his film could have fallen flat. It could have been like, yeah, it was Ripley and it was Newt and it was Hicks, but what the fuck was that? Like, it could have totally had that that um, that um, possibility, for sure. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's the questions, well, what do you want to see? What do you want to see? And fandom is a complex thing. And I wanted to really feel, and I feel like I felt Ripley's, or Ridley Scott's passion in heart when I saw... Um, David and Walter together having a conversation and the beginning. That is the heart of Ridley Scott. It's those Blade Runner themes. It's the yeah. Ridley Scott is near the end of his life. He's almost 80. He won't be on, I mean, I, he won't be on this planet much longer and compared to you and me. 
Um, mm-hmm. There are conversations she's having internally about that. Um, yeah. Life, longevity, what does it mean? How do we get more? How do we live longer? These are, And he's having these conversations in his films. I can't relate to those conversations. Um, mm-hmm. In the way... For, like, for instance, with Blade Runner, I really relate to Deckard. Kind of, what, what am I? Who, where am I? Who am I? I'm doing a job that I don't really like. I'm on this planet, or I'm here, kind of the ass. It's raining all the time. <laughs> yeah, or I'm lost in this big yeah. city, which I grew up in Chicago, always feeling kind of lost in the city. I don't matter. My life doesn't matter in this big cityscape. I, that scene where Deckard goes out on his... Um, patio and he's overlooking the, and you hear the music i know that feeling that feeling of feeling kind yeah. of like it's nostalgia it's nostalgia but it's also who am i you know yeah. i love that it's idea. yeah and also too uh, those those we create something you know what 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 responsibility do we have to those creations um and rachel's when rachel finds out she's a replicant her her world is shattered it's shattered. You see it. She's. She, it's just. It's. It's done, and she's. Yeah. She's beside herself because what she was told was true about her was not true. But we deal with those things too. When when maybe we lose a relationship or maybe maybe something's going on and um, maybe certain something in your town is gone or maybe you know what I mean or or um, or our parents or grandparents have dementia and they're losing those memories. Who right, are they? Right. You know, those are things that we deal with. Well, who are we without right. our memories? What do our right. memories tell, tell us about who we are as humans? Um, these right. stories that we kind of are surrounded. I really, 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 really relate to that. Fundamentally, yeah. like those things I think about and I process all the time and all the time. It's just a part of who I am. It's part of my makeup. I think about Blade Runner every day. I think about Blade Runner yeah. more than I think about Alien. I think about Blade Runner. I listen to that soundtrack. I said that on a podcast probably twice a day. Kid you not. I listen yeah. to that soundtrack. An hour and a half soundtrack twice a day. Um, it's an incredible movie. It is. Yeah, totally. Um, but, and, but, but like to me, that, that scene where, well, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. The, 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 the scene with Walter and David, to me, is completely worthy of anything in Blade Runner. I think that's an amazingly written Agreed. scene. Agreed, agree. I think, I think and, 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 and here's the thing, like, I, I feel like from a thematic standpoint, <clears throat> so, you know, pe- people like to sort of say Ridley Scott had much less to do with the creation of Alien than the screenwriters did. And, and you know, I, I, I in some ways agree with that. But Dan O'Bannon himself has said in many, many interviews that the whole foundational aspect of the horror in Alien that he came up with with Ron Trusa was that uh, was to, to freak especially men out right mm-hmm. with um, sexually uncomfortable tropes for like a sort of traditional cisgender straight mm-hmm. dude mm-hmm. watching the movie mm-hmm. because those are the people who stand the most to be afraid of right mm-hmm. because they're, they're never afraid because they have they're sort of on top of everything all the time um, so like if you can freak those people out people who feel safe in society then, you know, you can kind of freak anybody out. Mm-hmm. So he has all these, these tropes about, um, you know, about uh, about genitalia and about forced oral rape and these things that are like really, you know, uh, very intense. And uh, and that scene with Walter and David, like, you know, I know everybody likes to laugh about the, all the fingering thing, um, but they're laughing because it's working. Like, they're laughing because it makes you feel kind of uncomfortable mm-hmm. because it's like a really overtly sexualized scene. And they have no that clue that it's sexual. No, right, because yeah, they yeah. don't know what sex totally. is, right? They, they have no idea what that is. Yeah, but it's the making children. the men uncomfortable. Because you hear right. them talking about it like the men on the bulletin and in fandom, they're laughing about it, but they're laughing about it because they're uncomfortable. Yeah, because they're like, well, this is like, this is like super weird, yeah, right? Yeah. But that's the point. And, and, and you do feel uncomfortable. And the way that it's shot, 
um, besides obviously looking like some sort of like, you know, oral sex is also like with the gold background, uh, with the gold foil and the silhouettes of them facing and they're both like interacting with this, this instrument. Um, it's very, it's like, it's very erotic and it's extremely, it's it's extremely intense because you know, at some point David's going to try to kill Walter. Mm -hmm. Like you just know from the second, from the second that he fires that flare off, you know that this is ending with, uh, David trying to assume authority of the situation. Mm -hmm. So the whole time you're like, is he going to try to kill him? Mm -hmm. Are they going to make out? Like what, what, why are you, why are we watching these fucking robots in this crazy room learning the flute yeah. and then you think of it and then, and then it's like here's the thing James it's like you look at it if, if you if you think of it as good material and then you can start unpacking these incredible layers of metaphor like the fact that they're using a wind instrument to do this that he's literally just like in, in Genesis yeah. he's breathing life into Walter mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and life in, in, in the in this version of the universe is creativity so mm-hmm. David has figured out that he can create new things and he is literally breathing that into Walter mm-hmm. and Walter is respirating and becoming a human in mm-hmm. some ways in that moment. Mm-hmm. He's assuming this creativity also, the mm-hmm. symbols. Um, and I think that that's like a really powerful trope. And I think that it's like a really cool way to explore it. I and agree. just from like a, a cinema, cinematographic standpoint, I mean, I think it, it's like as good as anything in Alien or 2001 A Space Odyssey. The way it's lit is extremely stark. It looks amazing on a theater screen. Mm-hmm. The, the way that, uh, that you have like this refulgent, beautiful gold background with these black characters, you can barely see that their profile. You can tell that they're similar, but the hairstyle is just different enough that you can see that there's this change going on. Their body language, the way that Walter, when he holds the flute, is holding it so mechanistically perfectly. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that's that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Like he's holding it and it's completely static in space, and you can tell that he practiced that for a long time because mm-hmm. when you play a flute, let alone if you're somebody who doesn't play the flute, like you're going to be you know wavering all over the place and you know it's, it's because you, as your fingers are moving you know it's shaking and as you're breathing it's going up and down mm-hmm. but if you look at the way that walter's holding it he's holding it like a synthetic would hold it you know mm-hmm. he's holding it completely static in space mm-hmm. and it becomes this almost like tableau like it's been painted mm-hmm. um and i just think like from a symbolic standpoint from a cinematographic standpoint from a storytelling standpoint it's a really powerful moment um, and, and, I, and you know what if, if i had hated the movie up until that point i would just think it was this you know sort of needlessly uh, eroticized robot interaction. But because I liked it, I, I, I saw that as a really powerful thing, and, and it, it has stayed with me. Like, I know you've said that Covenant hasn't really stayed with you at all, um, but it has. That's why I keep seeing it over and over again, why I keep talking about it, is because there are moments like that to me are really powerful. Mm-hmm. And I say that as somebody who has a lifetime's worth of reading, quote-unquote, hard science fiction, mm-hmm. loving Phil K. Dick, loving Asimov, loving these like really fundamental sci-fi things like like i I, to me that totally fits in with that canon it totally feels like it's it's a contribution to that lore and that literature and the fact that he then goes that david uh i think the fact that his imperfection is what makes him um creative and human is like a super cool thing like the fact that 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 walt like i mean the scene where he talks about dream i mean how great is that from a screwdriver standpoint when david asks walter if he dreams of him and Walter, of course, says, I don't dream at all. It's like a really powerful moment. Mm-hmm. He does not have the capacity to dream. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And David is, is fucking crying, right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have shoes on, so he's just below eye level. So he's like feminized in that moment, too. Mm-hmm. It's this beautiful mm-hmm. moment of transference mm-hmm. where he's like he's like trying to open Walter up and make him more human. Mm-hmm. And Walter is is, is 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 not responding to it, mm-hmm. you know, at all. Because yeah. he can't. Yeah. Because he's not equipped to yeah. because he's you know had so much Prozac kind of thing you know totally. he's so much less of a human like he's right? been like I was too good so they sedated my kind and they made yeah. you, and they and they made you I agree with you I, I, I you know and in fact when I watch it again I'll 
probably think of those things and unpack that more. Um, I totally yeah. agree with you. I, and I, I said this from the beginning. The scenes between David and Walter were brilliant. Um, I, feel, yeah, I did yeah. feel like they felt more like they belonged in a Star Trek film or Blade Runner than they did in an Alien film. And I think probably because Alien has always fundamentally, yes, feel like maybe they're in the same universe as Blade Runner, but they're, they've always been a different theme. Um, and I'm not, and and as as we kind of move along, I think about like the future of Alien. I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, the word is awakening isn't happening. The word is they're all halted. I don't know how true that is. Um, but I think about like what another Alien film could be, and I really think that there is a possibility of them exploring this company, this diabolical company. Who are they? Um, why are they so intent on this? Um, and okay, but, the, but, but if they do that, then you know fandom, and me and maybe you included, will complain about it, because we'll, cause, because the same thing that made me hate Prometheus originally was that it was like answering all these questions that I didn't want to have answered, right? Mm-hmm. Part of what's so cool about the company is that you never really see them. Like, they're just, they're just sort yes. of floating around. Like, yes. you, you see them in a the boardroom briefly, you know, yeah. that, that's like literally, I think that's it, right? Isn't that like the only time you see Wayne Yutani at well, all but then in like the, the canonical film? At the end of Alien 3, there's... Right, you see the, the, the who, commandos come in, right? Yeah, but they're kind of representative of the company, but you're not really sure who they are or what they do. I mean, yeah, I, 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 let, mass, me re, let me right? rephrase that. I don't mean, like, go into the, do an alien film where you're going into the company and you're finding out why they're diabolical. But just, there was always that threat of the company, and we never know too much about them, but maybe there's a film where it's set in a station somewhere, in a Weyland-Yutani station, or I, I don't I really know, and there's, and there, I don't know, there's just... Okay, how am I? How do I explain this? So with aliens, aliens was kind of like um, Vietnam in space. It was kind of a a, a a a bit of a homage to that. It really, wasn't really about that, but it had some similar themes going. Um, sure. I think that you could take an alien film and use themes that are happening today in terms of collusion, in terms of um, yeah. of of where do your loyalties lie, and you're colluding with the enemy and you're lying about it, and you have this position of power. Using those themes, to me, speak to... Because with the alien films, and I've said this before, there were two aliens. There was the company, and then there was the creature. Who was more Who was more of the threat? The company was more of the threat. And um, I would like to see a return to that. Not so, let's do this again, but let's explore that more. And I don't mean explore that more like, let's answer why they're more of a threat. Let's see that threat more. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. let's see the... Oh, we're... Uh, you know, uh, 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 a mission of uh, Wayland Utani employees on a, on the on on the like in a spacecraft going to a planet to to say we were looking for biological weapons, um, right? And they encounter what, whatever. I don't know what they would you know. Well, see, here, here's here's the thing with that is that I I think that so I honestly think that that is what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I think that because this is the first time that we've had alien films being scripted over multiple entries in the, in the franchise, right? Everything else has been this kind of one off you know, unique mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. But here, they're taking a step back and they're scripting a multi-episode arc, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, like Prometheus and Covenant fit together in some sort of synthetic hole. Awakening, if it happens, would fill that in. And then, you know, these other, I don't know how many 3,000 sequels that Ridley Scott's mm-hmm. talked about, right? Like, they're part of a, of a longer narrative arc. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it's, it's, it's sort of futile to be saying that we're not getting what we're asking for because it's being made specifically to set things up for um, coming things. Mm-hmm. So like, for in, in my opinion... The whole reason why the uh, this this planet, the engineer planet, was uh, hidden was because of the company colluding with David. Like, like I, I personally think that somehow 
um, they were able to work that out and hide it from the scanning sensors. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, but they knew that it was en route to Oregon Six. So they had all these humans sign up for this thing to go to Oregon Six, and then on, on route to that, they did another, you know, fucking beacon on a foreign planet. They set up this diversion. Um, and then they routed all these people there to be, to be, uh, you know, basically raped and impregnated mm-hmm. by these incipient aliens that were being developed in that homeworld by David, who we know very little about and who is pretty much the definition of an unreliable narrator, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you can't get a, a less reliable narrator than a, mm-hmm. than a crazed synthetic who's been alone for ten years, right? Yeah. So, so, so I, I think that Awakening um, and that any subsequent films would be fleshing out that mm-hmm. more. You know what I mean? And I, I think that I, I had an idea for a sequel to Covenant that I think that could be gripping and amazing. That include Daniels and Tennessee and some surviving colonists who were working up and some surviving embryos and then embryos that are missing that were in the same drawer as the facehugger babies. They're gone. They're missing. And they're developing yeah. somewhere off by themselves, strangely. These embryos are developing. And then they kind of re... And then these babies are found in the woods or whatever. These human babies are found, like and people like feral kind of yeah. Yeah, or like, how did these babies get out here? Weren't well, we didn't have a record of them, there, but they're human, you know, stuff, stuff like that. And you're, then saying, you're, saying, you're saying they land on Oregon Six, and then they the land, they crash land on Oregon Six. Yeah, they crash. They yeah. crash land. Uh, most of the colonists die except for twenty uh, uh, who survive, including Dennis Tennessee and Daniels, and uh, David is smashed beyond repair, but his body, his his head is still talking. But meanwhile, mother is communicating with the company and the yeah. company has already sent out a ship. Um, the company sent out a ship years ago when they found out about this. So this ship is en route to Oregon six. Um, so you have this diabolical, diabolical thing happening with the company. You don't know why they're coming there. Um, and these aliens are growing up by them or whatever. Something strange is happening with these human children that are growing by themselves. The missing embryos. Yes. The missing embryos and Daniels and the rest of the surviving colonists, the other, the other um, embryos are growing in med pods, and they're terraforming and they're building a n- their new life. And they're thinking, "Well, here's we are. This is where we've. It was a crash landing. It was unfortunate. We lost all, all these people we love, but we're here and we're going to build our life. And maybe Daniels and Tennessee get together. Maybe there's maybe they end up a couple. You know, I think it could be powerful and amazing, and include yeah. everything we've seen in Covenant, but just kind of focus in a little bit more on the alien presence. On the alien presence being the company. And David and the aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I, if it does that, but if, see, if it do, if it does that, which which I personally and this is completely unfounded, just like any of these opinions that we're sharing are. Yeah. Like I, I I think it probably will go in that direction, maybe, um, because it seems to me like it's being set up with a longer trajectory like that. Mm-hmm. If it does go in that direction, do you think that will make you look at Kevin, Covenant in a more positive light? Perhaps, but the only way that it could really, even if. By some chance, which will, will never happen, that Fox was like, "Hey, we like your idea, Jamie." Um, it would have to be written and directed in a way that it, the film, this film, can breathe. That I yeah. can look at the screen for two minutes without hearing talking. With that, that right. really, there, there's a real, um, you know, I think about the, the Force Awakens, um, mm-hmm. and there's some issues with the Force Awakens. I'll be the first to tell you, there's some glaring issues with it, but there are sequences of Ray's life in the beginning of The Force Awakens where there's no talking. You see her mm-hmm. moving. You see her scavenging. There's no talking for probably four or five minutes, if not longer. And the landscape is telling the story, telling her story. Um, and this is 2015. This is the new audience taking... Uh, granted, it's Star Wars, so people are already going to be like, hey, we're in. 
So you're they're going to take yeah. what you're giving. Alien doesn't have that that can the convenience of. Alien doesn't have the convenience of a built-in audience that's going to accept whatever it sees. Because right. Alien, all the audience for Alien and the fandom for Alien has been in a position, in a, in a kind of subsequent PTSD since Alien 3. Where right. people have just been reeling and reeling and, oh my god, I don't like it, I don't like it, I don't like the AVP films. Resurrection was terrible. I didn't like Prometheus. So they're like, anything you show them, they're going to be like, ah, you know. Whereas right. with Star Wars, yeah, we had the prequels, but... Star Wars is pretty much <laughs> fired on all cylinders. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, so oh, yeah, Alien, yeah. Alien doesn't have that convenience. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And Force Awakens, like if that if they had done an Alien film that were that sort of did what Force Awakens did, which was essentially just just reboot it but make like a good contemporary version of the original film, like we, I think we would hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think the reason for that, I think this goes to your Planet of the Apes discussion too, is that um, we are conditioned as Alien fans. To be looking for newness with everything, and to be looking for like a totally new creative team, a new director, mm-hmm. new new writers, uh, new plot, new characters for the most part. So we're and, and with a totally different stylistic, aesthetic direction. You know, like they all look different, they feel different, they're mm-hmm. plotted differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so we don't have, we don't go into it. Like everybody knows, if you say a Star Wars movie, nobody uh, with any sort of you know rational mind will say will think of the prequels. Like they they all think of the original trilogy, and they know what they are because they feel cohesive. Even though they had different directors, they had a common producer, they had very common um, you know thematic stuff. Um, they were playing with these archetypes that everybody knows that are very simplistic that mm-hmm. can appeal to children. Mm-hmm. That um, it's like if, if you say Star Wars movie, immediately you get an image in your head. Mm-hmm. You know you, you know what that means, right? Mm-hmm. If you say an alien film, to me that 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 can mean any one of a whole cornucopia of things, mm-hmm. right? It can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Add into that the fact that they're fucking scary, mm-hmm. the films, and and that they are. Um, challenging at times like sort of philosophically and that they explore these themes that are a little more esoteric that they don't have the uh the younger fan base because they kind of can't by virtue of the content Mm -hmm. um and you're you're really you're you're playing with this very difficult to please um you know audience expectation and you're right it's been it's been you know we've been pissed off for so long that we've forgotten what it's like to be excited you know yeah so so i I guess my, my, my my real my real point is that covenant to me uh, was something to be excited for, and that delivered enough for me to feel like I got what I wanted out of it, mm-hmm. and and that the you know the thirteen year old in me that sat in resurrection and walked out feeling like I'd been betrayed mm-hmm. felt vindicated. I felt like you know what, it's been a long road getting here, and I saw a fucking beautiful, scary, cool alien movie that I had some issues with, that I think had a flawed third act, that I wish had used more of the practical effects. That uh, I had a dumb scene where the xenomorph is crawling down the stairs with the tail moving around. Like, like I, I can, I can, I'm not, you know, I'm not. I didn't drink Kool Aid. Like, I totally can see that. I can mm-hmm. see that there are flaws with it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, to me, it was a very cool alien film mm-hmm. that had different angles to explore themes that I thought were worth exploring, uh, and that ultimately enthralled me. And that's that's like what more can you ask for? Yeah. You know what I mean? I hear you, and I think really uh, to kind of sum all this up as we kind of end yeah. this. Um, yeah. The difference for me was I want to believe in a character the same way I believed in Ripley, and, and it's not a Ripley character. I'm not looking for Ripley. I want to I want to be as invested in a, a character, and two films in, and I'm not, and that's yeah. where that's the disconnect for me, and that's where I'm like, yeah. well, and I'm thinking honestly, do I continue with this podcast? Do I do it? What I can't talk about this film, but the good thing about this in our discussion, I can't wait to watch Covenant again based off what we, we've, we've oh, talked so about. Glad. Really, seriously, seriously. Yeah. And I, 
I, I really want to watch it again because I'm I'm not a black and white thinker. I'm a, I, I love the gray. Let's life yeah, is gray. Too. Life is not black and white. There and are it should, subtleties. Well, it should always be like that. Yeah, right? we should absolutely. Everything with nuance, absolutely. With the ability to talk about it in rational ways. And you know, to your credit and to the rest of the admins' credit, on William Yutani, you guys have done an amazing job at trying to keep that alive. Because especially in the days after Covenant, there was so much name calling mm-hmm. and so much vitriol. Mm-hmm. And you guys did a really good job of keeping that um, in check. And I think you still do. So thank you for doing that because it fosters totally. the ability to have to have these conversations, right? Yeah. Um, and, and if anybody uh, if, if anybody ever uh, thinks that I'm coming across black and white personally to somebody Tony, please tell me. Like yeah, I, I would yeah. rather know that I'm coming across that way than not, yeah. because I can assure you that I I am completely okay pointing out flaws in Covenant because there are very many of them. Yeah. But at a fundamental place, I think it's a story told by a really cool creative team, and that challenged my expectations and left me feeling excited. That's well, that's awesome. And I I mean I know that you're a very intelligent guy. Like some sometimes like I was talking with Dave Gogol, who's one of our co-hosts. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of challenging him a little bit. He's like, Yeah, yeah, I know. He's like, I I know. I'm, this is not Dave. I love you. Um, but I had a little bit of an issue with like. It's like, oh yeah, I know it's flawed, but I still like it because, actually, maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it was somebody on the Wayland Newtony Bulletin. Um, well, they're like, yeah, well, you know, we're not gonna take what you can get. And I'm like, wait a minute, when did we become those kind of fans? When you're right. like, well, this is what you're gonna get, and we're lucky to get one. Like, fuck that. Like, right, I'd rather, right, I'd rather right, not right. have one if this is, right. you know, what. Right. Like, like, kind of like, yeah, you're getting grits, so you better, you might not get anything to eat at all, so you better be yeah, grateful, yeah. you know? No, I, I, I've seen that argument, too, I, I've seen that, and, and, and I, I definitely take issue with it, but at the same time, I, I can see, here, here's what I worry about, so, so people, people like, um, like you, or people, you know, at ABP Galaxy, people who have some pull within the community, who have a voice on the platform, the more negativity about the movie that comes out, the less chance to me... <laughs> Personally, I think there is that 20th Century Fox will keep going with it. So maybe that's maybe that's a good thing yeah. if if you do really hate the movie. But but I think that I, it's not just really. I, I see. I just think so. Covenant is sitting at like what 290 million worldwide gross right now. Is it 90? It's 290. Not, uh, it's somewhere in that okay. in that region. You know, the DVD is coming out in, in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it is it is a financial flop, and that's something that you pointed out to me on the bulletin, and I was wrong about. It, and I did the research, and you're completely right. It did not do financially as well as I thought it did. Which is to me really problematic because if it's also divisive within the fan community and it's not performing well, and it's a big budget Hollywood feature, like you know, the, the chances of them taking that gamble again are, are really slight. But here's the thing: is that like if you're if you're 20th Century Fox, if you're one of the biggest film studios in the world, and you're putting out these challenging films like this, and they're not doing well, are you going to take a chance on a completely uh, you know uh, unproven? Co- not completely, a comparatively unproven creative team, or are you going to work with people who have, like, over time, brought some profit? Mm-hmm. And to me, like, uh, I mean, this isn't Searchlight, you know, this isn't, like, an independent yeah. film studio. This is a big Hollywood company yeah. spending $100 million on something. Like, they, they're going to go with somebody who's 80 years old and has made 48 feature films, totally. uh, most of most of which are turned to profit, yeah. right? Who comes in um, under budget, who delivers it quickly, who delivers it six time. months ahead of time. Who can get Michael Fassbender to totally. do it for less money because totally. he trusts him implicitly, yeah. right? So, like, so, and 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 like Neil Blomkamp, uh, like I think is kind of overrated, and I say that as somebody who really enjoyed um, District Nine and, and who has really loved the Oat Studio stuff. Yeah. But I, I think his movies are really uneven. And I agree. I think that Absolutely. A little bit, but no, I think that they're a little bit like obvious. Like I think some of the metaphors that he uses are yeah. kind of like, come yeah. on, man. Yeah. Like, I, I, Elysium. I, I had a huge. I was pissed when I yeah, watched Elysium. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? White man saves the world again. 
Like, right, right, with a yeah. fucking robot. Yeah, yeah, suit, yeah it's, it's stupid. But like, but 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 you hear people talk about him in the fan community, and they, they it's like he's the second coming or something. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's like it would somehow save this franchise. And I think I think I would probably not like that movie because I think it would be a Neil Blomkamp movie about apartheid set in the Alien universe, and it's like I feel like we've seen it. You know, like yeah. I, I feel well, like I, yeah. I feel like we're going to And I think that District Nine is incredible and amazing. I think yes, the apartheid, the apartheid. Um, analogy was glaring but it needed to be glaring because it's true yeah, sure. you yeah. know? Well, and it, right. that's what he grew up with you know that's his yeah. reality he saw injustice and he was like right. these people are treated like animals so he right. made a film about these animals yeah. um who are treated yeah. like animals like I, it was yeah. I, I thought it was fascinating but i had a big no, problem with that, the that's really good film. and um but i agree with you i don't think neil blomkamp is this second coming i think what people were were responding to was the nuclear family that was made from aliens, and the idea that you would see Hicks, Newt, and Ripley again at last. But I would hate that because, like, because because that would wreck on Alien Three. Which well, is I love Alien crazy. Three, and I'm okay with it. Um, I'm but that's okay. crazy. And here's the thing. That's though. crazy. Here's the thing. I'm only okay with it if he creates an amazing film. If it's not yeah, very yeah. good, I'd be like, "Fuck this." And think about um, how violently you would feel about that. I, I mean, totally. if, if he if, if he goes and he retcons one of my favorite movies of all time, and basic and, and but it's not even retconning Alien Three. It's retconning everything that's been done since then. Mm-hmm. You know, inside and outside the canon, including yeah. Dark Horse things and shit. Like you know, if if he goes and does this thing that would basically be a reset button for the whole past twenty years of this franchise, and it's also just a, not it's an Elysium movie or Chappie, you know, mm-hmm. then it's like then 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 I would I would feel like I would have to take a break from the franchise. Yeah. I, I would be like so. Yeah hurt by that you know yeah. what i mean like at least what we're getting now is different so it doesn't really injure the original fans too much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's and it's being done by people who have been on this for a long time so they kind of know what they're doing to varying degrees you know mm-hmm. I, I feel like that would be so edgy that, that so so uh, so difficult but i will say it would be difficult close. absolutely i i think that i think that uh, that denny Villeneuve should totally totally get the gig and i thought that well before he was brought on to to 2049 i, I just feel like he is like stylistically and thematically the perfect Perfect director for him or Nolan or uh, Duncan jo- Duncan Jones, who did Moon. Have you seen Moon? Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, Moon yeah. is oh, like yeah, that's, a great, that's a great movie. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's I, a great movie. Yeah, th- those are two good choices too. But 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 I, I feel like Denis Villeneuve totally gets it from an aesthetic standpoint, from like a cut editing standpoint, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from a characterization. I mean, I mean, every single shot that he uses in his movies is so fraught with fucking tension. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he's like Hitchcock. It's like yeah. every, everything that he does is so intense, yeah. and that's what an alien film should be. So like, so I would be totally cool seeing him do it with yeah. with Ridley Scott producing, yeah. perhaps yeah. in an advisory role. Yeah. But but I just think that I think that uh, I, I think that my, my, the reason I bring it up, I know we're closing, but the reason I bring it up is because I feel like the like the studio is is not going to take a chance on that if it's getting this constant feedback loop from the fan community that we hated everything. I, I, I just feel like I would agree. Yeah. And I think I think yeah. they're in a studio's in a hard place too because really what killed Alien Covenant domestically was word of mouth. Because uh, the critics were raving but the, also mm-hmm. the critics were raving early on just with those scenes, those alien scenes. Oh my god, this is really alien. This is horror. This is great. And then when the movie released, I think it was strange to a lot of people. And I really think domestic word of mouth killed it. People were like, eh, yeah, I don't know, yeah, this is interesting. You know, at, at any rate. Um, but if if Lucasfilm can take a chance on uh, Ryan, John- Ryan Johnson for The Last Jedi, I mean, there are these big... You know, or Marvel, or you know, um, taking a chance on um, what's his name who did Slither to do 
Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. Yeah. James Gunn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, but 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 Marvel and Star Wars are both you know franchise worlds that are, that's are true. That, that, they will that, they will always yeah. turn profit. Yeah, they will always true. turn profit right. because because you know what you're going to get even if it's a shitty Star Wars film yeah. and there have been a few of those or a shitty Marvel film there have been I don't know, dozens of them like you're still going to go to it because it's a Star Wars film it's an it's a it's a Star it's a Marvel film. Right? Yeah. Like, let me there, leave you so with expectation. Totally, totally. And let me leave you with this. I saw this film yeah. called It Comes at Night. Have you seen that? No, but um, I wanted to. And it was a very small film set in yeah. the woods in the south. Starring um, Owen Lars, um, Joel. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's the A twenty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And A twenty four is firing on all cylinders these days. Oh my god, I fucking love them. Yeah. It also stars Corinne uh, or Corinne from Cover. Oh yeah, he yeah. Is, she plays his wife. Nice. And um, it's set in some dystopian future, but you don't know really what future this is of America. Um, the house is all boarded up, but they're living in the house. They're wearing gas masks. The sense of foreboding of what's out there in those woods, what's coming for us, is terrifying. And I don't yeah. want to give the movie away to you or whatever. Um, and I was the whole time I was thinking, this is how you make an alien film. Yeah. You, you just. Oh, I gotta watch that. I gotta it's watch like that. it's foreboding. What is that? What is out there? We don't know. And the yeah. realism, the sense of realism, I thought, this is who I want directing an alien film. This is how you go smaller. This is how you have a $50 million budget. And you tell an alien film where it's foreboding. It's foreboding. Yeah. And you're scared to death, but you're not seeing shit. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I thought, this is, this is how you reinvigorate the series. This is how you yeah. reconnect. Now, I... I I would like to talk about It Comes at Night a little bit more, but once you see it, we can discuss it a little bit more because yeah, there's yeah, yeah. part of it I just have questions about um, okay. as it relates to maybe the same person doing an alien film. But anyways, watch, go see it. I, I'm, all, going to, I'm going to. I'm going to watch that tomorrow. All yeah. of our listeners here, everybody, I think that you really should see it just because it really builds up the sense of what is out there. Something's out there, and we don't know what that is, and yeah. where is it? Yeah. And it, yeah. you know, and... You know, there's scenes where the camera is just up against this door, and something's going on outside this door, and you're not. Which is classic Denny Villeneuve, right? It's, it's like like he, like he can focus on a tree for a yes. minute, yes. And, and the tree becomes so scary. Yes, you know what I mean? and that's you, what I think. You know, and, know what I would love to see is I, w I would love to see uh, I would love to see like let let Ridley Scott do these kind of huge, big, weird, um, you know, things that are very unevenly loved with the fan base. I might love them, I might hate them, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But then have a small series on a TV budget on HBO or Netflix, like on a premium channel, where it is episodic and it's small and it's tight and yes. it's narrative and character-driven, and, and and use that to dive into the mythology, to dive down from these big themes, yes. and to tell tiny, tiny character stories, right? Like, to me, that would be perfect. But they're not going to do that because Covenant didn't turn a profit and because the fan base is so divided about it, but, so they're going to get this feedback. But I will say, they made two AVP films. Actually, the first AV, AVP film right now, so far, is more profitable than Covenant has been. No, the second one that. isn't. Even though the second one wasn't, they still went on and made Prometheus. Even though Resurrection tanked, they still went on to make... Um, the first AVP, even though Alien right. 3 tanked, they first went on, then they went on to Alien 4. So Fox, this is their history. This is what they've done. Yeah, maybe these films, these films do break even. These films, Covenant has broke even. It's it's made its money back. It right. just hasn't been vastly popular. So it's different if, say, Covenant released and it made worldwide $150 million. They lost right. all their money. You know, their marketing money, their budget, everything. It's it's shot to hell. They haven't. They're not losing these mon their money on these films. They're making right. their money back. So for them, okay, we can make another one. 
because yeah. we made twenty five million. We made you know, or yeah. uh, the reception that film got initially was. I mean, I remember being in the movie theater in '97 before the movie came out, and they showed that trailer, and people were on their fucking feet cheering mm-hmm. at the end, and that, and then you see Ripley, yeah. and she and, smiles, and, then, and it's like there she is, you know, it yeah, was awesome. Yeah, I know, no, me too. But yeah. um, anyways, let's end this. Thank you so much yeah. for being on. Thanks for Thank staying you, up man. late. I know Great it's late for you. Um, no, no, I'll talk about this all night. Thank you for having me. Man. Absolutely. Really um, and check out uh, Andrew when he's on. Sorry, uh, Patrick, I'm thinking of your character as Andrew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when he's on uh, Proximity, which hopefully we'll start recording soon. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just, just for the people listening, I, I wanted to say the story is freaking great. Um, and I say that it's not the person who wrote it, so I, I can be honest about it. I appreciate it's really it. good. I appreciate Jamie it. Jamie did a great job with it. And, uh, and I'm starring uh, in it alongside my wife, which is super cool, um, who's also an actress, and she's really great. And it's, uh, it's something that we're really excited about. We've been just reading it for fun at home. So I can't wait to start awesome, working on awesome. it. Well, thanks yeah. again. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Cargo and ship destroyed. I should reach the frontier in about six weeks. With a little luck, the network will pick me up. This is Ripley. Last survivor of the Nostromo. Signing off.